This is day 124 of our daily Bible reading. We'll be completing Psalms chapters 138 through 142. Lord Heavenly Father, you deserve all the praise, all the glory, all the attention, all the majesty that you are. Why doesn't this world recognize and exalt you for who you are? How many times do you have to prove it? How many times do you have to speak to an obstinate, stubborn people for them to recognize your sovereignty in all things and your gracious hand in everyone's lives? You allow the sun to rise for the unrighteous and the righteous. You allow seasons and prosperity all around. And every time you bless us with plenty, we get full of ourselves and our hearts. Lord, why are we this way? Why do we struggle against you so much? And but most of all, Lord, why do you love us so much despite all the rebellion against you? Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being patient with us. Thank you for being gracious to us above all things. May we recognize this today as well as recognize just how important we are to you. We are nothing, but you have given us such value. May we understand just a glimpse of it today. Please bless the reading of this word. In Jesus' name, amen. I will give you thanks with all my heart. I will sing praises to you before the gods. I will bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word according to all your name. On the day I called, you answered me. You made me bold with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth will give thanks to you, O Lord, when they have heard the words of your mouth. And they will sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is exalted, yet he regards the lowly but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch forth your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Your loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. Do not forsake the works of your hands. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down, and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before, and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand 
will lay hold of me. If I say, Surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed, for they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. Rescue me, O Lord, from evil men. Preserve me from violent men, who devise evil things in their hearts. They continually stir up wars. They sharpen their tongues as a serpent, Poison of a viper is under their lips. Selah. Keep me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from violent men who have purposed to trip up my feet. The proud have hidden a trap for me and cords. They have spread a net by the wayside. They have set snares for me. Selah. I said to the Lord, you are my God. Give ear, O Lord, to the voice of my supplications. O God the Lord, the strength of my salvation, you have covered my head in the day of battle. Do not grant, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. Do not promote his evil device, that they not be exalted. Salah. As for the head of those who surround me, may the mischief of their lips cover them. May burning coals fall upon them. May they be cast into the fire, into deep pits from which they cannot rise. May a slanderer not be established in the earth. May evil hunt the violent man speedily. I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and justice for the poor. Surely the righteous will give thanks to your name, the upright will dwell in your presence. O Lord, I call upon you. Hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. May my prayer be counted as incense before you, 
the lifting up of my hands as the evening offering. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing, to practice deeds of wickedness with men who do iniquity. And do not let me eat of their delicacies. Let the righteous smite me in kindness and reprove me. It is oil upon the head. Do not let my head refuse it. For still my prayer is against their wicked deeds. Their judges are thrown down by the sides of the rock, and they hear my words, for they are pleasant. As when one plows and breaks open the earth, our bones have been scattered at the mouth of Sheol. For my eyes are toward you, O God, the Lord. In you I take refuge. Do not leave me defenseless. Keep me from the jaws of the trap which they have set for me, and the snares of those who do iniquity. Let the wicked fall into their own nets, while I pass by safely. I cry aloud with my voice to the Lord. I make supplication with my voice to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare my trouble before him. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, you knew my path in the way where I walk. They have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see, for there is no one who regards me. There is no escape for me. No one cares for my soul. I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, You are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Give heed to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring my soul out of prison, so that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. As I was planning for today, yesterday, I was very much looking forward to today's reading because I love these psalms. We're back to David being the psalmist here, and there's a couple of these psalms that really hit home with me. They're some of my favorites, especially Psalm 139, which we'll get to in a second. But let's begin with Psalm 138. So this is a psalm of thanksgiving where David is praising God for answering his prayers. Because it says here that in verse 1, I will give thanks with all my heart. I will sing praises to you before the gods. What gods? I thought there were no other gods. Of course, it's talking about the ones that people prop up, the ones that are idols. We will sing praises to God before these idols. So this is his response, because if you see at the end of verse 2, he says, You have magnified your word according to to all your name. On the day I called, you answered me. You made me bold with strength in my soul. So this is the natural response when we pray for something that aligns with God's will, and it happens. This should be the natural response. And if we are sensitive enough to God's calling, to where we have an active prayer life, 
we will be able to recognize when God responds, when God moves, the Holy Spirit stirs within us. We can notice those things. We'll have that sensitivity in our spirit. And when we see those things happen, that's when we respond properly with giving all the glory to our God. Now in verse 4, it says, All the kings of the earth will give thanks to you, O Lord. Has that happened yet? Well, I mean, they have heard the words of his mouth, but they don't like what they hear. So how is this possible that all the kings of the earth will do this? Well, it hasn't happened yet, but it will happen. And this is proclaimed at judgment as well as during the millennial kingdom. But one day, like it's been repeated many times, every knee will bow before the Lord, whether by choice or by compulsion. Either way, God will be exalted in the final time. As it says here in verse 6, For though the Lord is exalted, yet he regards the lowly. God is already on his throne, and he has been on his throne from the very beginning. So it's not that God is working his way up, or that he still has something to accomplish. He's already done it all. It just hasn't happened yet. Because again, he doesn't exist in time and space. So all the things that we deal with are nothing to him. Like we read in Psalm 139, Darkness and light are the same to him. It doesn't matter to him, because he's above all that. He exists outside his creation, therefore he's not affected by it. He doesn't have limitations like we do. And we see a reoccurring theme as well in today's readings is that God is, as usual, a deliverer. He is the one who protects us from harm. When people lay traps for us and try to sabotage our plans for the gospel, he puts people in their own trap. And I love that he does that. It is such an excellent way of justice to where all these traps people set for us and try to uh, try to catch us on our words or try to make things as difficult for us as possible. God frustrates their plans. And it's so beautiful when it happens. I very much love it when God acts on our behalf, because he promised that he would. That's why it's very important that we don't hold grudges, that we don't be bitter and resentful to people. We trust in our God, who will take care of us in his timing. Our job is fairly simple. We're just to be obedient, wait on the Lord, and continue to grow in godliness, and he'll take care of the rest. Then we come to a powerhouse psalm, 139. This is such a beautiful psalm, and there's so many facets to this to talk about. I mean, I could spend a whole day talking about it. So for the sake of time, I won't do that, but let's at least talk about the highlights here. So there are four sections to this psalm. One is his knowledge. Okay, The first section talks about his knowledge. So you searched me, and you know me, you know when I get down, you know when I stand up, you understand my thoughts, you scrutinize my paths, you know all of my ways, you know everything I'm going to say even before I say it. God's knowledge, his omniscience, is so present right here. His perfect wisdom, his all knowledge. It is too high, like it says in verse 6, it is too high. 
trying to understand the depth of God's knowledge and wisdom is impossible. It's too high. There's no way I can understand it. Then it talks about his omnipresence. No matter where you go, he's always there. It even says, even if I go and make my bed in Sheol, if I go to the grave, you are there. So there's that argument, is God in hell? Well, I think his presence requires it to be sustained, but he's not in it, if you know what I mean. He's over it, but he's not in it. But he's there. There's nowhere we can go where we can hide from him. I don't know why we would want to hide from him, but we usually do hide from him when we allow our pride to enter in and we want to do something that we know is wrong, or we just reject him entirely, which is what the world does. There is nowhere that we can escape from him. So there's a common thing, especially in church, um, with pastors that they tend to use a lot. And I've even caught myself many times recently saying it. And then when I discovered how it sounds in reality, I'm denying God's omnipresence. So, for example, when I'm praying, it's like, Lord, please be here with us. He's always here with us. He's sitting right next to us. He's standing right next to us all the time. Perhaps there's a better way to say it. I know he knows our hearts, and I don't think that's the problem, but at least to how we can accurately portray God's omnipresence, why don't we change the way we say that? Instead of saying, please be here with us, he already is. Say, please allow your presence to be felt in our midst. Please stir up our spirits to your cause. You know, something different that is demonstrates we want God to speak or to be making his presence more well-known than it normally is. Then it shows part three of this psalm is God as our creator, which we understand that our parents participated, but they didn't create us. I did not create my children with my wife. God did. We were able to participate, but it was God's design. And this is why no one should feel like they are less than, or that we are worthless, because God has given us a value, and here it is. Verses 13 and 14. You formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. So he created us, and he's the one who put us together within our mother's womb. He built us, if you want to call it that. So if any time we're like, well, he's such a worthless human being, that is not true. God spent his time designing us. Each of us are unique. Some of us have different issues, sure, but God designed you the way you are on purpose. Even if you have disabilities, even if there's something physical going on that makes you different from other people, it's intentional. Think about what Jesus said when he was with his disciples and they came across the man who was born blind. Now in their day, they understood it to be a sin problem. You are this way because either you sinned as a child or because your parents sinned. Therefore, their sin passed on to you. 
But Jesus didn't approach it that way. What did he tell his disciples? It's not because of what he did or what his parents did that he was born blind. He was born blind so that the glory of God could be manifested in him. We each have a role to play. Despite our physical differences, any physical disabilities, all can be done for the glory of God. There is no limitation to how we can glorify God. Oh, I need us to understand that. That, well, I can't do this because I have this problem. I can't glorify God because I have this problem. That's not true. What does God say repeatedly in his word? The way we glorify him is with our internal self. That is what we do inside ourselves that causes us to glorify him. And ultimately, what comes from within is going to be what's coming out of us. And if it pleases the Lord, then that's what he desires from us. There is no excuse for not glorifying the Lord in your physical state. In sickness and in health, better or for worse, richer or for poorer, like when we say when you're at the altar getting married, doesn't matter. You're still, as long as we live, able to glorify God. So as long as you draw breath, you are able to do so. So don't say that you can't or that you're limited in being able to do it. Just do it a different way, a way that is within your limitations. And it can be done. Then this wonderful thing that David says, I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You have made us wonderful. Lord, you did not make a mistake with us when you made us. And we are fearfully made. It is so... If we really understood the value that God puts on us, as well as how intricate we are in our design, it should put shivers down our spine. It really should. I think with the humdrum of today, as well as all the drama that's going on, we tend to forget how valuable we are to God. Again, he doesn't need us, but he wants us. And he spent his time making you the way you are. Give that back to God in glory, in praise, in attitude of heart. My soul knows it very well, because wonderful are your works. Just look at everything else God has done in the Bible and in creation. He did all of that. He's doing it to you, too. This is the same God. Praise his name. Verse 16, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. He sees us when we're just a bunch of clumps of DNA. Before even that, the days that were ordained for me were written down in your book, when as yet there was not one of them. He already has our destiny mapped out. And it is a good destiny. Do you think God thinks about you? Look at verse 17. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. And it's not just David that God's thinking about. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. Wow. Isn't that such a remarkable thing? That God thinks about you so much that his thoughts of you, you, 
outnumber the sand of the sea. There's a lot of sand in the sea. How he desires good for us. How he desires that compassion. How he desires that love in return. He pours such an infinite amount of love onto us that we can't even fathom. The least that we can do is give him back what is due him. And it, by extension, we give this love to each other like we're called to do. Love your neighbor as yourself. God loves us. And we were intricately made. And all these human beings around us were also intricately made. They were fearfully and wonderfully made by the Lord. Now, to be clear, they're not all his children, but they are all his creation. Only those who are called by Jesus Christ are his children. So let's be clear about that. Not everyone is God's children. And lastly, part four of this psalm is talking about his holiness and his justice, where God will destroy evil and he searches the hearts of believers to make sure there is no evil in us. Like it says in verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. Correct my path, Lord. If I'm going off track, correct me. Guide me down the right road. See me. See the inside of me. What's going on? Search what's going on with me, because he understood, just as we will read in Psalm 141 as well, is that God is sovereign over our hearts. Does God have control over who you are inside too? Yeah, he does. He allows us to exercise our free will, but at any given time, he can override that. And he can cause us to feel things. He can cause us to change direction. He causes faith in us. He causes repentance in us. We have a lot less control of our lives than we think we do. God is sovereign over every piece of this creation, including your heart, your will. These next three psalms are very similar in their themes, where we see David crying out to God for help, understanding who God is, and that's why he's calling to him for help, because he knows who God is and what he's capable of doing. And so he's crying out for relief. We see this at the beginning of Psalm 120. He needs relief and retribution for what evildoers are doing to him. And the second half of the psalm is referring to how he has confidence that God will do something. Like he says in verse 12, I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and justice for the poor. Surely the righteous will give thanks to your name, the upright will dwell in your presence. That should be our response. When God is acting on our behalf, we should be running to him and drawing closer to him. Psalm 141 is talking about that same kind of theme as well, that he's asking the Lord to hear him in his cry. We see this in Psalm 142, especially super sad psalm, where we're understanding that we're so powerless on our own. Evil is so numerous, is it not? We are always greatly outnumbered. That is why we need God to act on our behalf. But not only that, but he also mentions here in verse 4 and 5, Do not incline my heart 
to any evil thing, to practice deeds of wickedness with men who do iniquity. Help me, Lord, to stay away from bad company. Help me to not be surrounded by evil men so that I don't become like them, first off. But then secondly is, let the righteous smite me in kindness. I thought that was a very interesting way to say that. Let him smite me with kindness? Like, kill me with kindness, like we say today? Well, yes, but also, it's kind of like what that same kind of verbiage with what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. When he convicts us of sin, when he challenges us to be better, he smites us with that conviction. It's like, oh, you just get hit with it. And it just overwhelms you, and you just know what confirmation of that, I am doing something wrong. I have something I need to fix. I feel guilty. I feel so dirty in my sin. And that's what we're talking about here, that smiting. That smiting with kindness. And it says the righteous will smite him with kindness. And who are the righteous? His fellow believers, his brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And just like we talked about how God frustrates the plans of the wicked, verses 9 and 10, keep me from the jaws of the trap which they have set for me, and from the snares of those who do iniquity. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by safely. God can do that, and he does it all the time. We don't even recognize it most of the time. And then we see a very sad psalm to end the day, Psalm 142. This is when he is in the cave. Now, the cave that we are probably thinking of, if we go back to David's life, is the cave of Adullam. And this is the cave where he hides from Saul for a while. And it says that the rejects, the people who are depressed, the ones who are oppressed, are all coming to David in this cave, even his family. And so he's getting the rejects of society that are surrounding him, these vagabonds. And they don't care about him. They're not godly people necessarily. But he's so he's crying out to the Lord. He's overwhelmed. Lord, I am dying over here. I'm dying to know what you have planned because nobody around me cares about me. I feel so lonely, Lord. I feel so overwhelmed with the problems around me. I'm stuck in this cave. Lord, you called me to be king over Israel one day, and I am in a cave being chased down like an animal. I am overwhelmed, God. Rescue me. I cry and I cry and I cry, and I need your deliverance. Don't we get like that sometimes? We need to keep this in mind, that God will do something in his timing. And sometimes the waiting is the development we need. But ultimately, he ends with the right stance. Verse 7, Bring my soul out of prison so that I may give thanks to your name. Because ultimately, like he says here, the righteous will surround me. It will happen. And you will deal bountifully with me. That confidence, that faith. I don't see what you're doing right now, Lord. Nothing is good right now, at least from my perspective. But I know who you are, and I know what you do for us, and I know what you promise us. So I'll stick with it, and I'll stick by you, because I know you deal well with me. 
you mean to do good to me. The circumstances right now are not good, but you are. And I trust you that this will come to an end one day. You will bring me to a better place. And I just have to wait for that. David understood that, and we should too. And that's all I have for today. Thank you very much for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.